Are you ready for God's Word today? All right, get your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and will you stand with me as as we read the Word of God together? I I think it's so important that we honor the Word of God. I want to encourage you to bring a Bible that you can highlight and underline. I'm all for clicking and analog, and I'll use my iPad, yes, but I love to have the Word of God. So so Luke chapter 18. Um, So Luke's Gospel, and I love all the Gospels. Luke's Gospel is the third Gospel. the, the writer is Luke. We know Luke is the writer because he wrote Acts. So, um, and, you know, you understand there's, there's, um, there's a lot that goes on with determining the history, historicity of the books of the Bible and how we got them and, and, and where they came from and who wrote them. Um, because a lot of the writers, you know, early on, after, right after the crucifixion, um, everything was done orally. They told the message of Jesus, and they were expecting the Messiah to return a second time very soon. And, and so, um, so immediately there wasn't a lot written. In fact, a lot of the writings of Paul are really the first writings of the New Testament. Um, and, and by the way, let me just say this apologetically, if you understand apolog- apologetics, which is giving answer to the faith comes from the Greek word apologia. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in, in the gospels because they all copied each other and they're all written a hundred years after the resurrection. It's actually not true. Um, it's not true. Um, but let me just say this. One thing you could think of as a rebuttal to that is, well, do you believe in Alexander the Great? Everybody's going to say yes because he's in all the history books. Well, everything we know about Alexander the Great, all the, the writings that we have from Alexander the Great are 400 years after he died. And we believe those. Yet, yet in the Bible, actually the earliest scripture we have or writings about Jesus that we have are actually, they're called creeds. They're actually contained in scripture. Most of them are Pauline, meaning Paul wrote them. Um, there are uh, a couple that are Petrine, but um, there is one in, in fact, there's one in the book of, of Luke, um, but that would be from Luke, but, but those creeds have historically been dated back to just a couple of months after the crucifixion, and you can find those. It's a little bit harder to see unless you look at it in the Greek because there's kind of quoted in the Greek, but it doesn't necessarily show up in, in your English Bible, but it's when Paul says things like, uh, I gave to you that which I, you know, that which I received from the Lord, I gave to you. In fact, from the Lord was a creed. That's probably the earliest creed that dates back almost to the day of Pentecost. And the idea of calling Christ Lord was an incredible declaration of Christology, if you will. So anyways, the point is, I think we need to know these things because culture asks questions and we need to be able to answer. So Peter's gospel, I date it around... Um, A.D. 60, and the reason, or maybe the latest, 62. Uh, the reason is we know Luke wrote Acts and Luke, which makes 26, 27% of the New Testament when you count words. Um, we know Luke wrote Acts because he uses first-person pronouns. We call them the we passages, where he's talking about being with Paul, and he'll talk about we, and then when he's not with Paul, he talks about he, right? And so we know Luke wrote that. That was Luke. And then because of that, we know the writer of Acts also wrote Luke, and so we know that Luke wrote Luke. And the reason that we think, or I think there are two dates for Luke, A.D. 60, A.D. 70, roughly, and both of those are based on when you date the book of Mark. Mark was the first gospel. Um, and so based on when you date the first gospel, um, that determines that. But it's hard to date Mark. The reason that I date Luke 
Um, the earliest date for Mark would be like late 50s. Um, the reason I date Luke at 60 because he tells us he's writing historically. He sets himself up as a historian. And Acts ends with Paul's imprisonment, first imprisonment in Rome. So it had been early 60s. Well, there's some things that happen between, say, 62 and 70 that if Luke is really a historian, he wouldn't have left those things out. The death of James, the brother of Jesus, uh, the Jewish-Roman conflict or war, the destruction of the temple in A.D., Emperor Nero coming to power, Paul being you know, martyred. All of those things would have made it, I believe, in his writings um, and so, anyway, so so I, I think it's around 60. Some people think Luke may have been a Gentile. Um, he, he could have been a Gentile. The reason in one of Paul's writings, he lists Jews. I think it's in Philemon or Colossians, but he lists Jews, and then he lists Luke uh, separate. So people say, well, maybe Luke was actually a Greek. Uh, a lot of people think he was a, a Hellenized Jew. I didn't cuss. I didn't say a hell of a Jew. I said a Hellenized Jew. Um, and so, uh, which means, you say, a Greekified Jew. Anyways, that's why Luke talks a lot about festivals and explains a lot of Jewish customs. And so Luke, I think, writes the Gospel of Luke probably around 60 to 62. And he's writing Theophilus, who is um, probably someone that's giving to his ministry, but also a prominent person. And he writes them to say, I've researched all the things, I'm going to paraphrase, but you can read Luke chapter 1. I've researched all these things, I would say, about Jesus. And I want you to know that you can be certain in what you have believed. That's, what he's, that's why he's giving all the detail that he gives. So in Luke chapter 18, this is Jesus' Perean ministry. Perea is just a Greek word that means beyond. So he was beyond the Jordan, meaning he was on the east side. Come on, east side, everybody of the Jordan. And... Um, it's probably a month or so before he's crucified. Verse 1, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Time out. I like old school King James on this one. I'm not reading the, the, the new King James today. But old school King James said men should always pray and not faint. I've found in my life, usually if I'm fainting, it's because I'm not praying. And usually if I'm praying, it keeps me from fainting. Come on, somebody. I feel like those can be mutually exclusive. He says, Then Jesus said, There was a certain, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God or regard man, nor was there a widow in the city. And she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me out. <laughs> So much you could say there. Anyways, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. So in other words, pay attention to what he just said, because that was the point. Verse 5, he said, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I call this message today persistence, pay, not persistence, pay, persistence praise, everybody. Persistence praise. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this word, this time, your church. God, we don't want to miss this opportunity. We are here because you have divinely appointed us to be here, and we believe you have a plan for it. So help us to hear, understand, God, exactly what you're speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. You can be seated. Persistence, praise. Say that with me. Persistence, persistence, praise.
praise, persistence, praise. Jesus gives us a parable. Contextually, you understand chapters and verses were put in by man so we could find places in the Bible and reference places in the Bible. And so they're not always day breaks or week breaks. Sometimes it's just a good break in in the narrative or what was being said. Sometimes it's a change in subject matter like in the Sermon on the Mount. The bottom line is Jesus has been talking in chapter 17 about the kingdom. And we understand the kingdom has come. But the kingdom is coming. In fact, the message of Jesus, the message that Jesus preached was really repent, not because God's mad and he's coming to get you, but rather repent because the kingdom of God is here. In other words, Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God had returned and was going to return. It is now, but it is not yet, but it will be. And so he's been talking about the coming kingdom and, and then he transitions into this parable about this persistent widow, or you could say persistent prayer. In other words, he is tying or correlating the, the idea or concept or power of prayer and the fact that it plays a role in getting his kingdom here. Did you hear what I said? We know this from the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the first thing he asked us to pray is that his kingdom would come and his will be done. God didn't give us prayer to keep us busy. He gave us prayer to bring his kingdom into earth, to bring the realm and authority and the reign of the king into earth. We are partnering with God right now in ways that actually change the course of human history, which essentially is what we see in Luke chapter 18. And that's why we're going to talk about it. Are, are you with me? And so he is talking to us about persisting in prayer. In fact, Paul talks about continuing in prayer. In fact, Romans 12, he says, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, pray all the time, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. And so the Bible talks about continuing in prayer, laboring in prayer, being steadfast in prayer, persisting in prayer, right? Now, now we couple that, we'll, we'll couple that, Pastor, because there's some verses, in fact, I've talked to people that, are str- that have struggled in their faith because they say, well, they, they'll quote a verse from Jesus, some verses such as, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do, ask what you will and pray that you receive it. And if you'll pray and believe, then you'll have the petitions you ask, ask and keep asking, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. They'll say, it sounds to me like the moment you pray, things are supposed to show up and I prayed and nothing showed up and now I'm struggling. But Luke 18 gives us some insight along with some other teachings of Christ, some other places in the Bible that, that not all prayers are answered instantaneously. Here's what I would say, because some people say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I would beg the differ. Because if you're a parent, you understand what I'm about to say. And that is no is answering a question. No is an answer to a petition. In fact, I would tell you that if God would have given me everything I prayed for, I would be in worse shape than I am today. I'd be a hot mess, everybody. Come on, be honest. Not only that, some people would have died. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't. And so what Jesus is telling us, he's telling us that there is a a reason to persist in prayer. In fact, this is a little bit of a controversial teaching or revolutionary teaching might even be better because Jews actually believe 
that the, the most you could pray was three times a day. And if you prayed more than three times a day, you would weary God. So Jesus now is giving us a picture of God through contrast. This is one of those parables that's known as a much more parable, meaning he's giving us a negative personality or a negative persona and saying this is human, you know, humans, you know, human nature, but the nature of God, how much better is the nature of God? In literature, we call this a foil. In other words, when we get a contrast through depicting someone negatively or through a protagonist, then, then that shows us a picture. And so he's basically, if you think about it, he's saying this guy's not just. He doesn't care. He's not good. And you can wear him out. And Jesus is actually saying this is not anything like God at all. God is just. He is good, and He is inexhaustible, and God cares about everything going on in your life. And so He's giving us a picture of God, and He's teaching us, even though, think about this, God is good, God does care, God does love, God is just, and even in the face of the fact that God is good, and God is just, and God does care, and God cannot be exhausted, He is inexhaustible, and still He says, but you have to persist in prayer. Well, why? Because remember, you know, we live in a microwave society. Now it's an air fryer society. But <laughs> which, how many know the air fryer is better than the microwave? Praise the Lord. How many would agree to that? If you've ever had a frozen chicken nugget, you know what I'm talking about right now. But he's telling us, even in light of how good God is, those attributes and characteristics, you have to persist in prayer. Why? What I want to give you today is something that took me a while to learn. And that is, I think there are three reasons you have to persist in prayer. There are three reasons that persisting in prayer is going to be necessary. Um, there's three reasons that everyone's going to encounter prayer things, you know, that it answers to prayer that, that aren't immediate and instantaneous. And I want to walk you through these together because I think it's going to help you to understand that just because you pray, think about if the widow would have stopped the first time. If she said, well, you know, the judge is just not going to avenge me of my adversary. And she just quit. I think there's a lot of people who hear me. There's some prayers of people in this room that you've stopped praying and the Holy Spirit wants to remind you today, I never told you to stop praying I need you to pray so I can work. So let's talk about it together. I just put three words. I don't always have points, but today we have points. What if, you're, if you really love homiletics, you're going to love this. Um, first point is this. Why do we persist in prayer? Number one, just use this word, development. Now, I could use the word maturity, but maturity implies immaturity, and most people don't like to be called immature, so we, I use the word development because I'm sneaky. Come on, Jehovah Sneaky, everybody. That's one of his names. <laughs> Development. Look at, look at verse 1 and then verse 7. Verse 1, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Well, if he's implying that you could lose heart and you need to keep praying and the idea is persistent prayer, then he's implying that continuing to pray builds up the resolve or character in you, right, that is required for the thing you're praying for. See, sometimes God uses delayed prayer, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is good. Sometimes God uses de delayed prayer to make you mature enough for the thing you're praying for. 
Because some of the things you're praying for right now, some of the things I'm praying for right now, how many know some of the things I was praying for when I was in Bible school and I was, you know, 19, 20 year old, you know, and, and some of the things I was praying for then, dear Lord, if he had given me that then, I would have already blown the world up in a bad way. You understand what I'm saying? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, so sometimes prayer, listen, development says, or, or this concept of development says that a lot of times God delaying his answer actually creates an opportunity for character to be formed in me through perseverance that actually matures me, develops me, and grows me to a place that I can responsibly handle the answer to the very prayer that I'm praying. In fact, Luke 18.7 kind of makes this point as we just read it, but it said, will, not God, will God not give justice to his elect? And look, he said, who cry out to him day and night. In other words, he, it's kind of an interesting paradox because he says, you cry out day and night, will he delay long? In other words, it kind of gives this idea of expediency while at the same time saying that you had to pray day and night. So there was this time frame involved of persisting, yet then he says, um, delay long. In fact, one commentator, I love reading commentaries. I know that's probably what you do throughout the week. But um, one commentator, I, I love this because he went to the Greek language. He's very smart. I'm not that smart. But the bottom line is he said the picture of, of him day and night and delay long ultimately points to character development in the believer. That, that essentially he was building in this, you know, and I know it's a parable, but he was building in this believer or widow, he was building in her the tenacity through perseverance. The character came through perseverance because the truth is persistence builds character. Re the reality is God needs us, and, and I put it that way, to mature. Yes, God wants us to mature the same way you want your children to mature. But God needs us to mature. Why? So that we can carry what he's called us to carry. So we can do what he's called us to do. So, so we can be who he's created us to be. And that comes through development. That comes through maturity. God wants you to mature. I mean, Paul's writing to, to the church of Ephesus is all about unity and maturity. Right? And he, essentially, Paul's saying this to the Ephesians. Hey, we got to grow up. We got to grow up. Why? Because we have to grow up because, listen, character is necessary for what God has called you to. Character is necessary because as Paul told the Galatians, this is what he told the Galatians. He said, I labor until Christ be formed in you. What is he saying? He's not saying that, hey, I hope you have good blessings. He's like, no, here's why I'm working. Because I want the character and the nature of God to be formed in you. The truth of it is gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. Gifts are instantaneous, but maturity is developed. And I love, you know, I, I've been in many different kinds of churches and, and I love that I have the opportunity to serve in staffs in different kinds of churches. And, and I've been in some churches that really focused on the gifts of the Spirit and, and I love the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work and the person, the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that. I've taught it and, and, and I'm grateful for it and I will never change my mind about it. But I have been in some places where they were highly gifted and highly immature at the same time. And I, I, had, I served on a staff one time, and I had to talk to some people. I said, I'm so glad that you have all these gifts of the Holy Spirit. I would really love to see some fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the fruit is actually the platform and the governor for the gift. 
if I'm highly gifted and at the same time immature, I can hurt people with the very gift God gave me to help people. It's kind of like you just say you had a five-year-old and we decided today we're going to get together and take up a love offering and buy that five-year-old a Corvette, brand new Corvette, and just give your five-year-old a Corvette. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you be thrilled? No, you wouldn't be thrilled. You'd be scared to death. We'd all be scared to death. Why? Because it's a wonderful gift and it's given freely, but they're not mature enough for that gift. And though we could give them something wonderful, something great, their immaturity could actually use that to damage and hurt and all those things. And so the reality is, while we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we also want to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. While we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we also want the character and nature of God that we be conformed. Right? Paul says it's Romans 8. That we should be conformed to the image of Jesus. What's God trying to do in my life, Pastor? Let me help you with this. He's trying to make you look like Jesus. Now, let me tell you a verse that we don't like to talk about in the church. Because we like all those promises. All those good and precious things. Like, I'm blessed. Highly favored. You know. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Boy, it got quiet in this church. Think about that. That Jesus actually had to endure difficulty and trial to develop the character inside him. And he was perfect. So if we have a God who did not preclude his own son from walking through difficulty, seeing delays, seeing adverse situations and opposition... Why would we assume we're so entitled that we should get everything instantaneously and never have to walk through anything difficultly and never have to believe for any extended period of time for anything that, that God should just be our genie in a bottle? No, he is building with us. Why? Because, listen, you understand that persistence builds character and character builds trust and trust is what is needed in partnership and partnership is what is needed for us to co-labor with God to see his kingdom come to earth. So do you see what God's trying to do? I, I, persistence. you got to persist. Why? It builds character. Why? The more character you build, the more you trust God. Like I, now I'm trusting in who God is because I actually had to persist in prayer and I had to believe him. Kind of like Abraham against the writer of um, Romans tells us, Paul tells us, Abraham against all hope, in hope believe. 25 years without the promise and he's still believing. Come on, journey. Don't stop believing, everybody. But in that, it is developing character and Character is helping to develop your trust in God. And your trust in God is necessary for what God has called you to do and how he's called you to partner with him to see his kingdom come and his will be done. In fact, if you read Ephesians 4, you'll find out that maturity is necessary. And I'll give you three words. It's, it's necessary, number one, for stability, number two, for visibility, and number three, for usability. In other words, when Paul's writing, he gives this picture in the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, this verse 7 through 16, somewhere right in there. And Paul's writing and he gives this picture, number one, that an immature believer is like a baby in a boat with no rudder. And he says, you're going to be tossed around by every wind and every wave of teaching and doctrine and everything that goes on in culture. And, and I mean, we have, we have people, I, I was listening to a study, is on a podcast the other day about evangelicals in, in the United States. 
in the Western world and what they believe. And, and I was appalled at the percentages of people that don't believe God is the only way to heaven, that don't believe that you know Jesus was actually God incarnate. I mean, there's so many things that I take for granted doctrinally that people are so confused on. They've been tossed. Every, you know, well, God would never send good people to, to hell. God doesn't send any people to hell. God just honors their wishes to not be with him. Right? God's never sent anyone to hell. He's put a lot of roadblocks on the road, but he's never sent anyone there. But yet people are confused about this. They're being tossed around. Why? Because we haven't matured. And he's saying, hey, if you don't mature, you're like a baby in a boat with no rudder. That's not a good day. Right? There's stability that comes through maturity. Then there's vis- visibility till we grow up into the head who is Christ. In other words, till we look like him. One of the worst things that happened, you all have countered this too, or maybe you have, I don't know. But have you ever encountered someone and you thought, man, they're the devil, and then you see them at church? Don't look at them! Right? Have you, sometimes I, I pray that the people who have treated me poorly in social settings and things or were rude to me in restaurants or whatever, sometimes I just pray they'd come to Pathway one day. Isn't that bad? Anyways, but the point is that we look like Christ and then our usability. In other words, kind of like the, the car illustration, if I really want God to be able to entrust to me what, what, I, what God needs to entrust to me and for me to be who God created me to be, I have to grow up into that. I have to mature into that. And one of the ways God matures us is actually in delaying some things that we want, maybe because we're not ready for them yet. And, and we have to persist in prayer and it develops us. Here, here's the second thing. The second thing, you write this down. The second thing is, use this word, alignment. Alignment. Verse 4 says that for a while, this unjust judge resisted her plea. Notice for a while. So her plea was just. His resistance was unjust. Do you all see that? So here's what we know. There was a misalignment between justice between what was just and what his decision was or his action. What we understand is that in Genesis chapter 3, everything falls apart, right? God had created a, a perfect world that reflected heaven only in a physical form. And sin entered the world. And the Bible says death entered through sin. So when Adam and Eve fell, so earth, if you will, the Garden of Eden, it's a picture of heaven in, in a way. That's kind of what heaven looks like. That's what God's will is. That's perfection. But when sin entered the world, then all the brokenness entered the world. Disease entered the world. Sickness entered the world. Death entered the world. All those things come with death, right? Right after Genesis 3, you see a marital conflict. You see a brother killing a brother, and then things just kind of go downhill from there. What happened? Well, there was alignment on earth as it is in heaven. There was alignment between heaven and earth. And when sin entered the world, things started moving away from heaven. Earth started to look more like the kingdom of darkness than the kingdom of God. Do you see that? So one of the reasons we pray, but one of the reasons we see delays in our answer, kind of like this widow, is there is a a misalignment between the kingdom of God and earth, between the unjust judge and justice, right? He's representing, you know, say the world, right? And and justice is always, God is justice, right? It, it It is one of his attributes that he is just. Justice is the foundation of his throne, right? And so, so essentially, so Sometimes the reason we have to persist in prayer is is through our prayer, God is actually aligning earth back with heaven. 
He's actually, through the power of our prayer and through our intercession and through our speaking the word of God and believing the word of God, proclaiming the word of God, praying the word of God, praying according to God's will, he's actually moving and manipulating this world to line up with heaven. That's, think about it. Why did God say pray on earth as in heaven? Is he sitting there thinking, you know what? I just got to give them something to do till I get back. You know, just some busy work. And seems like good busy work. Hey, why don't y'all pray about stuff? And, uh, you know, here's something you can pray about. You know, heaven and earth. That'd be No, the reason it's the first thing is because God says there's, there, there is, there is, there's no longer the alignment between earth and heaven. Earth doesn't look like heaven anymore. By the way, how does this whole thing end up? The kingdom of God comes down. John sees it, the book of Revelation. And God makes all things new, right? And now new heaven, new earth, it all looks the same again. Like this is still the plan of God. And so the kingdom has come. It is coming. And it is, you know, kingdom is, you know, is here, but it is coming. It's now and not yet. And so he is telling us to pray. So that's why we see situations in our home where maybe our marriage doesn't look like the way God wants it to look. There's a situation with a child that doesn't look like what God wants it to look. Well, God can't override free will of humans. But as we persist and pray, the Holy Spirit can influence people. He can speak to people. He can change situations. I mean, this is what the Word of God said. Even the, the heart of the king's in the hand of the Lord. And maybe you got a situation with your boss and it is unjust. But through persistent prayer, God can transform that boss's heart. And so the reason that we persist in prayer is because earth is not lined up with heaven anymore. And it is through our praying and through our petitioning that earth lines up with heaven. Think about Acts, Acts 12. There's this cool story in Acts 12. Well, the first part of it's not cool because James, the brother of John, is killed by Herod. And when Herod sees how much people got excited about that, he arrests Peter and he's going to kill Peter. Come on, somebody. Herod represents a political spirit and political spirits don't care about righteousness. They care about popularity. Moving right along. So Herod kills James, the brother of John, which was unrighteous, and it excites people. And he's like, well, I want to keep everybody happy. And so I'll arrest Peter. But, but Acts chapter 12 has this cool verse where it says, I think it's verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison. But look at this. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. You know what I've often wondered? I wonder if constant prayer had been offered for James, would God have broken him out of prison? Because they offer constant prayer to the church, knowing what happened to James. I mean, it, these guys were getting arrested all the time, by the way. All, all the apostles, they were always getting arrested for all kinds of things. Many times, get, you, know, you know, Paul was rest, arrested multiple times. In fact, we're not really even sure exactly how many Paul, times Paul was arrested. Um, a lot of theologians think he, he was actually arrested one time in Ephesus because of how long he was, he was in Ephesus, nearly three years. So I'm just saying they were arrested all the time. So James gets arrested, and they think, oh, James, bless his heart, he's arrested, it just happens. And then, and then Herod actually executes him. And then he arrests Peter. Well, now they're like, uh-oh, Peter's next. 
and says they constantly prayed. I wonder if they constantly prayed for James, if that would have turned out any differently because they constant, constant, they start praying for Peter. And you know the story. Some angels show up and they bust him out of prison. And it's such an incredible experience. He thought he was having a vision. And then when he showed up at John Mark's house and knocks on the door, a little girl answers the door and opens the door and sees this Peter and thinks it's a vision because we're supposed to pray for prayer, not actually see break. We're supposed to pray about things, but not actually see breakthroughs. So she just shuts the door. Have you ever been surprised when God actually answered your prayer? You know, Holy cow, that worked, you know. But we persist in prayer so we can line heaven up with earth. Um, Jesus, Jesus didn't tell us to persist in prayer so that we would have something to do. He told us to persist in prayer so the will of God would get done. Here's the third thing. Write this down. Uh, opposition. Opposition. Daniel chapter 10. I know it's a lot of teaching today, but it's a good way to start 21 days of prayer. Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's 84 years old. Um, and the reason he, we, we get our, the idea of the Daniel fast comes from the text I'm about to read. Um, but the reason he is mourning and, and praying is because this is, at, this is like at the end of the exile. So there's the Babylonian exile, and then the Persians conquer the Babylonians, and the people of God are still there, and then they're released, and they can start going back, and we start seeing the revitalization with Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and all that. And, but Daniel is in a position of power, and the Jews are able to go back home, but many of them won't leave, you know, per, really Persia now, Babylon, Persia. They, they won't leave, and they won't go back. And he's burdened about that, and so that's what prompts him to seek the Lord for understanding. And so Daniel chapter 10, I'm just going to read 2 through 5 and 11 through 14. It says, but in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So there's your 21 days, three weeks. It says, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I anointed myself at all for the three, four weeks. So that's where they kind of get the no, no sweets, no breads, no meats. That's kind of your Daniel fast. But really, it was just, it was just about denying self. It's essentially depriving self. You know? I mean, great question to ask. When's the last time you actually deprived yourself? To draw close to God. I mean, and that's essentially what he's doing. Uh, verse 4, on the 24th day of the, of the first month, I was staying on the bank of the great river Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz, uh, Euphaz around his waist. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day. Everybody say first day. That you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. Your words have been heard. Everybody say heard. And I have come because of your words. Why was the angel there? Because he prayed. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now this is where it gets a little sketchy unless you understand. It says the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Because you got to think about yourself. He's talking to an angel. So when he says the prince of the kingdom of Persia, it kind of makes weird. It'd be kind of weird for a natural human prince to be fighting with an angel and that to be the explanation, right? That doesn't really make sense. So the kingdom of the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, we know Michael to be one of the, most people say one of the archangels of God. Um, but we know Michael to be an angel, um, more the angel of, of, of war, defense, etc. But it says, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So now, now if, if you're not understanding, you think this is really just the king of Persia, we now have an angel fighting with a human prince, and now another angel comes to help. Doesn't really make sense. Um, 
princes and came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now there's another group called the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand, and, and, and he said, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for the days to come. So, so what's going on? Well, because we're short on time, let me explain. When Paul says it this way, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of ho- a host of, of a host of darkness. I uh, misquoted. Anyways, wrestling against flesh and principalities, powers, rulers of, of wickedness. Um, what he's talking about are there's actually a hierarchy of demonic power. And I could, well, I've actually taught on this and walk you all through it in the Bible. But there's actually a hierarchy of demonic power. We don't actually have human human kings and a human prince fighting with angels. He's talking about a spiritual war and a spiritual warfare and a spiritual opposition to the prayer that Daniel is praying. Are you with me? So there are principalities and rulers of the air, right? And, and, and those are regional or territorial spirits. So why is it the prince of Persia? Because he's in Persia, and this is a demonic power probably that is working in Persia, okay? People say, well, does Longview have one in East Texas? And I said, yeah, I, I do. I, I think Longview does have. Uh, here, it's, it's actually a religious spirit. Um, I mean, people in Longview are so religious, they don't go to church because they know more than everybody else and smarter than everybody else and more holy. Um, and so they're so holy, they haven't read the Bible to understand you can't actually be a New Testament Christian if you're not part of a local church. Um, and so... That was kind of rough, but it was true. <laughs> I, think, I think I didn't filter because you're here, so obviously I'm not talking to you. But if you're watching online, we love you, and we just want to thank you. And... Anyways, God loves everybody. And, um... But the bottom line is this. So the bottom line is this, that there's spiritual opposition to our prayer. So why do we persist in prayer? Why do we persist? In, I mean, th- think about, but here, I need to tell you this. Think about this. Here's what you can see from Daniel. There's spiritual opposition, but you can see, number one, God heard the first day. God sent the answer the first day. And Daniel had to keep praying for that answer to show up. And what if Daniel hadn't, hadn't continued to pray? And you could see this, that even though the enemy delayed the answer, he couldn't stop it. So you can see all that in that text. And so why do we persist in prayer? Well, we persist in prayer, number one, because it's maturing and developing us. We persist in prayer, number two, because heaven and earth are not aligned, but praying seems to align heaven and earth according to what Jesus is teaching us. And then we persist in prayer because there's things that God wants to do. And when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, there is opposition to the will of God spiritually, and there is opposition to the kingdom of God, but it is our our steadfast and persistent and consistent and constant prayer that that brings the things of God into the earth. Are are you with me? And so here's the question I would ask, and this is bonus material. Here's the question I would ask. Well, Pastor, how do I know the difference between when I'm persisting in prayer and it's developing and maturing me, maybe even that's God delaying something, and how do I know when it's the enemy fighting something? Well, the first thing, you know, I'll say this. If, you, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, then you, you have the Holy Spirit. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of discerning of spirits. Now, the reason I said it that way is because that's how the Bible teaches it. Now, I also met many people say, Pastor, I have the gift of discernment, which is usually meaning I have the gift of criticism 
And um, <laughs> I'm just, let it heal you, right? But the gift is actually not the gift of discernment. In other words, where I can figure out who's right and who's wrong based on what I think. The gift is actually a spiritual gift that's motivated, prompted, empowered by the Holy Spirit that helps me understand when a demonic power or the enemy is warring against me. So one of the things you can ask for is the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Spirit, the spirit of discerning of spirits. When you're not sure and you're like, I don't know, is this just something that, you know, where heaven and earth have to line up? Is this something where God's developing me or is this demonic? Well, I can ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I need, I need the gift of discerning of spirits. I need the Holy Spirit to show me here what's going on. And I've found God will. Another way that you can understand is essentially in that discernment, Peace versus non-peace. In other words, if heaven and earth have to line up, there's a stability and a peace that's anchored in that where you understand this is not something demonic, some oppression, some spiritual war. This is just something you and God are working on together. And there's a peace in that. Same thing if God's developing my character. There's a peace in that. In fact, I would point to you know people who have dealt with adverse situations, trials of the Bible. Like, for instance, Daniel. Daniel didn't feel like it was demonic attack that he was going in the lion's den. He was peaceful about it. He was steadfast in his faith, and he believed God would, would, would deliver him. Same way, you know, the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Yershach, and a bungalow, when, when they were faced with the fiery furnace, and if you didn't know that was a joke, <laughs> you better show up for the next core class. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we got to get healed or something. Anyways, um, but they, they had peace saying, you know, whether God delivers us or not, King, we're not going to bow. God's with us. There was a peace there. But then when you look at Paul, and Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. Now, I don't have time to, like, explain everything. A lot of people, and really it's, it's terrible theology. In fact, it's mistreatment of the Scripture. When they talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh, flesh being some type of physical malady or ailment, uh, a lot of people say, well, he had epilepsy or he had this or that. It's it, grammatically, I mean, even in English, if you just read the English Bible, he says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, comma, a messenger from Satan. So when you have a comma, in other words, he's like, thorn in the flesh, comma, I'm about to tell you what the thorn in the flesh was. People are like, I can't figure out what the thorn in the flesh is. A messenger, that word in the Greek, angelos, means an angel from Satan. And so it's very clear. It's not a physical ailment. Paul's like, I'm under spiritual attack, y'all. That's, that's what he's actually saying. And by the way, thorn is actually a lot more graphic in the original Greek, right? Because the word used for thorn is not like, well, I, man, you know. Have you ever encountered those wait-a-minute vines? Did you ever go out in the woods and you find a wait-a-minute vine? You, some of you are like, what, it was a wait-a-minute? You know when you hit one because you wait a minute. You know, like you're walking, it gives you, you know what I'm saying? Like, wait a minute. It's not a wait-a-minute vine. In fact, the word for thorn actually is a stake that's in the ground that after you behead your enemy, you thrust their head down on the stake. Isn't that graphic? What are y'all having for lunch? Anyways, <laughs> corn dog, anybody? Uh, anyways, so <laughs> I'm so sorry, but that was funny. Anyways, um, but, but the point is what Paul is saying is he discerned and because of the unrest of his soul, he understood this is not character development. This is not where heaven and earth need to line up. This is where there's been a demon sent from Satan. And the way that is manifesting is he is stirring up people against me. Right? That is really correctly how that passage works out. Right? 
And, and so what Paul then goes for is he prays for grace. And what does God say? My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That doesn't mean God was giving him the grace to deal with a malady. If you look at Paul's life, what God did, grace is supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's charisma. It's gifting. It's power, right? And so essentially what God did is God enabled him to overcome all the distraction and work of the enemy. Even though it was a struggle, Paul still won. That's, that's what is... Ex- In other words, here's what God said. It's true, Paul. This, this is an angel, and this is an angel of Satan, and he has excited these people against you, but I'm going to give you grace. You keep working. I'll keep moving. You'll overcome. And you'll know that you needed me to do it. You didn't do it by yourself. That, that's, that's what I mean. And so how do we know that? How do I know the difference? Well, discernment but also where my peace is. Does that make sense? Listen, by the way, I think God wants to do, I, I know God always wants to move. God is always working. And I think over the next 21 days, God wants to do some incredible things in all of our lives. But we're going to have to persist in prayer. And when we do that, God's going to develop character in us. We're going to see heaven and earth line up. And we're going to see that the gates of hell really can't prevail against the church as we pray together. Amen? Come on, persistence, praise, everybody. Let's give Jesus praise today. Why don't you stand with me? And I know we went long today, and we go long every day, but stand with me, and I'm going to ask our our prayer team to come. So if you're serving on prayer today, you can go ahead and come. We we love to end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer for anything. We want to pray with you, and we believe it's one of the most powerful things you can do on earth is pray. And so today, if you need prayer, if you're away from the Lord and you need to be forgiven, you need God to forgive your sins, you need to be saved, born again, as we say, start a new life, made a new creation. All those things are pictures and, and, and that we see in the Bible. If that's you, then we want to pray with you and you can come when everyone else comes and we want to pray. And, and today you can, man, you can be forgiven and you can be made new and you can start a new life in Christ. And we would love to pray with you about that. Let's bow our heads, church. And as we bow our heads, let's ask the Holy Spirit this one question today. And that is, Holy Spirit, what do I need to leave here with today? What is it you want me to take and apply? Would you ask that question? Because we know hearing the word is, is, is not what changes our lives. It's doing the word. And so maybe you just say, Holy Spirit, how do I do the word? What do you... When I leave here today, what are you telling me? What can I do next to follow you? And Lord, I just pray as we ask that question, I believe you'll speak to every person, every heart, everyone in this room, those watching online. And God, we're going to see you work in our lives today and in the days to come as we just apply what you just spoke to us. Lord, I thank you for this 21 days where we can commit ourselves to prayer. I pray everyone in our church will commit themselves to prayer. And God, I believe we're going to see mountains move. I believe we're going to see giants fall. I believe we're going to see lives restored and people transformed by the power of your grace, by the power of your spirit as we pray together. God, thank you for all you're doing in and through us and around us. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, one more praise. You got it in you, everybody. Give God praise today.
Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also... Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.